Welcome to the Blackhawks Talk Podcast with Charlie Romeliotis. I am Pat Boyle. On this edition, we discuss Jonathan Taves. We sat down with The Athletic this past week and discussed his role in the rebuild here in Chicago and how he said that the five-plus-year process that this rebuild could take doesn't sound appealing to him at all. Besides talking about the captain, we'll also meet one of the new wingers, Max Domi. How big of a reason did Luke Richardson play in the process of Domi signing a one-year deal here in Chicago? Well, has he had any contact with Kane and Taves? And we discuss his dad, who was known to flip a switch or two and get into it, mix it up in his NHL career. Uh, Max has a little bit of that himself. We'll discuss uh, his uh, run-in with teammate Connor Murphy a couple years back. And uh, we'll also get into Tom Brady's relationship with the Domi family. It's all coming up next on the Blackhawks Talk podcast. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. lot to get to on this episode of the Blackhawks Talk Podcast with Charlie Romeliotis. I'm Pat Boyle. We've got Max Domi coming up in just a bit as uh, we had the opportunity to chat with him on Thursday. Uh, let's start, though, with the, the news that uh, Jonathan Taves had a conversation with the Athletics' Mark Lazarus. And uh, we kind of kind of predicted this a couple of weeks ago, saying that I think the captain uh, wanted to uh, get his side of, of where he's at with the rebuild and, and how it fits with his timeline. So when you saw Johnny's comments to Lazarus, uh, what were some of your takeaways, Charlie? Yeah, I actually really appreciated and loved the honesty that um, it didn't come across as like, I don't want to be here for this rebuild. I want out. You know, it just it came from a place of like reflection on what the last 15 years have been like and how good they had it for 10 years winning three Stanley Cups and going on those deep playoff runs to the challenges of what these last four or five years have been like just kind of spinning their wheels in mediocrity and, and all the roster turnover and maybe the direction that one year that's maybe they're going for it to, to make the playoffs and the other year they're they're trying to be transparent about playing younger players and then the year after that they Acquire Mark Andre Fleury and such, you know. So it was just kind of this tug of war. So I appreciated the way that he kind of laid it all out. And obviously, the quote that was getting the most attention is how he said, "At the end of the day, we're talking about a five-plus year process," according to Kyle. So that part of me, or that part of it, doesn't sound appealing to me at all. I think he's just being honest with where he's at in his career. Like he's 34 years old, and by by the time his contract expires at the end of this year, whether he plays it out in Chicago or not. I mean, Jonathan Tays, like, I don't think anyone would really want to sign up for a five plus year rebuild at that kind of uh, at that age and where he's at in his career. So 
I, I think I just appreciated the, the perspective that he had and, and reflecting the future, how the last few years have been so challenging, missing time with that illness, like all of it kind of encapsulated into one. So, um, yeah, I don't know what you thought about it, Pat, but I actually, I, I like a, I appreciated the honesty uh, from the Blackhawks captain and, and kind of just encapsulating what these last 16 years have been like. Yeah, I, you know, that's what he's kind of known for. He speaks from the heart. Um, he doesn't hold things back. You can, you know, the one thing is when you're reading a story like this, you know, you're trying to like figure what maybe his mannerisms are like or what his tone is like. And that's the only thing that's missing when mm-hmm. you know, a player goes on the record in print. But you know, I thought this was similar to what we saw from John uh, during last season when, you know, Kyle took over, was given the keys to the car and, and, you know, he quite honestly said, you know, it's going to be a rebuild and he laid it all out there. And Jonathan wasn't the only one. Every one of those players that stepped to the mic, were talking about ways of, okay, I understand it's a rebuild, but we're going to do our best to, uh, you know, advance that rebuild and, and make it a short period of time. And uh, we're going to find a way to get into the playoffs and, and things of that nature. But, you know, as he said, when they traded Hagel and then the Debrinket and Kirby moves on draft day, that's when reality set in. And I think that's when reality set in for a lot of Hawks fans as well. I don't think any Hawks fan really is, is excited about the next five years of a rebuild. I mean, it's cool to watch players develop and see how you, you know, build a team from from the ground floor up uh, and we're going to get get a chance to see that but from a 34 year old hall of fame uh player like Jonathan Taves who we don't know how much time he doesn't know how much time he has left in his career of course 5 years of a rebuild is something that uh, is something that he doesn't really want to be a part of and I again I appreciate his his honesty and being candid and if player if Fans, for some reason, don't understand where he's coming from. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say about that. Yeah, I also, I also like the fact it was very interesting that later in the piece he mentioned or like acknowledged that he's like, you can't blame the Blackhawks for for kind of going on this rebuild because look how it worked for Chicago in two thousand six, two thousand seven when they drafted Taves, when they drafted Patrick Kane, when they when they drafted all these. Um, you know, Duncan Keith and Corey Crawford's in the second round and Brent Seabrook in the first, you know, like it, it does work, like rebuilds do work. And so I think Taze was acknowledging that even though that this might be the way to go, it still is not appealing to me at my current stage. And I think my bit, you know, I've always said this, my biggest issue with all of this is the fact that the Blackhawks could have undergone this rebuild three years ago and, and Kane Taves, to bring they all could have been part of this, you know right. what I mean? And I think that's where the frustration lies that it was basically just five years of the Blackhawks kind of spinning their tires in the middle, not good enough to be a playoff contender, not bad enough to be in the hunt for a high end draft pick. They were just somewhere in the middle, and that's the worst place to be in hockey or really in any sport. And so I think that's where the frustration is uh, for a lot of the players, the coaches, the management. Like, this is where this is what the reality is. Um, for for the state of the organization and and the fans too, I'm sure that they agree too. So, I think the fact that Tay's acknowledging that you can't blame the Blackhawks for the management group for em- embarking on this rebuild, it's still different from where Jonathan Taves' mindset is at. And he's like, man, like I, you know, I, I don't want to sign up for for this long term 
um, rebuild. And then, you know, the, the piece kind of started out as comparing, you know, what the Pittsburgh Penguins are doing. Like they're just giving it one last go with that group. Um, and even though those contracts might not be the greatest by the end of that term, they're basically saying, all right, these next two, three years, like this is our window because beyond that, it's going to be like, it's going to be a real, real long rebuild once Crosby, Malk, and Latang are all gone. And, and I'm glad you bring up the Penguins because, you know, Johnny's always been compared to Sid throughout his career. And, you know, he probably looks at how, you know, Sid and the Penguins uh, won in 08, 09 area and then uh, reinvented themselves for the back-to-back cup wins a, a few years back. And like you said, still sees, you know, the majority of the core still together and trying to make another run and, and probably wishes he was in the same boat as Sydney is. Yeah. And, but I think it too, it's important to, to remind everyone that the penguins, when they won their first Stanley cup in 2009, they underwent like a, a significant change where they, they overhauled their, their management group. There was, there were new coaches. It was Mike Johnston. And then they ended up eventually landing on Mike Sullivan so there was like that seven-year gap of, yeah, the Penguins were, were making the playoffs, but they were like consistent first round out. So they had some roster turnover and organizational turnover. And then and then I think of the Boston Bruins too. Like they win their Stanley Cup in 2011. They get back to a Stanley Cup in 2013 against Chicago and lose. And then they went through that little retooling, rebuild on the fly period where they're reloading with – David Posternock and Charlie McAvoy and Brandon Carlo and all these younger guys. And they're right back on the up on the upswing. Well, short a couple of years after where Bergeron, Marshawn, uh, Sedeno Chara at the time, like they were all still playing at a high level. So I think Chicago, like they missed their opportunity to kind of retool that on the fly in between 2015 and 2018. And then they could have been back on the Ascension starting in 2018 through you know, right now where all of them could have finished their careers with Blackhawks. And we might even be talking about Duncan Keith too, and Brent Seabrook and, and Andrew Shaw, you know, all those guys. Um, so I think that's where the frustration lies. And, and, you know, I don't think Jonathan Taves or anyone would trade those 10 years um, for anything. I, I just think they're kind of looking at the situation like, man, like they thought they were going to be lifelong Blackhawks. And now they're kind of in a situation where like, they're probably going to have to reconsider what their future is. You know, and you look at what Johnny's dealing with, he's he's dealing not only with a team that's rebuilding and young players are coming in left and right and some guys that you would think would be pieces moving forward are being moved for assets. And then you look also that he's trying to reinvent his career and show that, you know, there still is something left in the tank. Um, that was one thing that I kind of took away. I was thinking like from a leadership perspective, that would be difficult when, uh, you know, you're trying to be a mentor to people in that room uh, and you see guys like Hagel, who are, are great examples of the type of player you want and to bring it. And then those guys are moved. It would be, as he put it, you know, it, it gets exhausting with yep. his quote. Um, I could see that being kind of a burden on the leadership group when you're trying to remain positive. You're trying to be that leader and they keep, you know, the team, the, the front office takes away pieces again with the long term, with the, 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 uh, the long game in focus, it still hurts the guys that are, that are in that room trying to win on that, that given night. Right. And it was easy for Jonathan Taves 
you know, from 2009 to 2015, 16, when they were, when they were winning, you know, cups and they were going on deep postseason runs when younger guys were coming into the lineup, whether it was Brandon Saad types or Andrew Shaw types or Tavo Teravainen types, it was easy for that, for him to kind of be a leader and be like, Hey, just, just hop in line. Let me know, like follow us how we do it. And, you know, they kind of have, but when, when the Blackhawks are losing and then, then Jonathan Taze is frustrated with the state of it, the organization and, and maybe his performance and things like, then he's got so many things going on in his mind where a couple other things that aren't clicking, like the team winning and his performance, then he's got to work on that while also trying to integrate like these new guys into the, so the the responsibilities have like significantly increased because the the state of the organization has changed over the last few years. So yeah, he's, you know, he, he that's exactly the word to use. It, it's exhausting that the amount that the turnover with the, the roster turnover, but then he called the, the timeline pretty daunting. So like, I just, I don't blame him at all. The one thing, Pat, that I, I thought was interesting is how he kind of shut the door on like that. This might be the last year or whatever. Like he said, I will try to tell me that I'm getting older and I'm not accepting that anytime soon. He, he seems pretty committed to playing beyond this year and really pushing off, staving off father time for as long as possible. Later in the piece, obviously he admitted, I'll know it's time. Um, so I don't know if it's going to be like, you know, a Duncan Keats situation where he feels like he still has a lot left in the tank, but because he can't be Jonathan Taves, that that might kind of eat at him. Um, so yeah, we'll see, like, we'll see what his career is. The future of his hockey career is beyond this year, but he, he kind of dismissed the fact that he's kind of going into like this year, like, we'll see what happens after the year, you know, like he, he's really trying to push that off. I agree. It sounds like, you know, according to Jonathan, uh, this is not, the, the final contract for him. This will not be his last year in the league, but it does sound like he is, I don't say at peace, but he certainly understands the reality of where the Blackhawks are at and probably that, you know, a, a another contract from the Blackhawks uh, probably is not in the cards for him. And I mean, he even said that, you know, it, it would be fun to to maybe go to a playoff contender and take another run at the cup. So, you know, he's left you know, pretty much every door open. He doesn't know what the future holds for him. Uh, the one thing he's been trying to do is live in the moment the last few years, uh, dealing with uh, everything he's dealt with off the ice. And now what he's dealing with, with the, the Blackhawks rebuild, and um, we'll see how it goes. Do you do you think he's going to end up playing a lot with Kane next year? Do you do you envision those two being on the same line? Uh, obviously, they'll be uh, on power plays together. But uh, do you think they'll be out there on a regular basis on the same line? Um, I, I honestly, I think they're going to spend more time apart than together, just because I, I think they're, it's you're going to put other young guys in in tough situations if you kind of load up your two guys. Like you know, if your second line is just consisted of a bunch of young guys and they're getting eaten alive by like Connor McDavid when they're on the ice. You know what I mean? Like, I, I still think they do want to shelter some of the young guys and, and if they can develop some players along the way, while also being in a really tough situation, I think they'll do that. But I wonder, I wonder if they, if they start the year together, right? Like I think Jonathan and Patrick Kane, like they'll pro- probably start the, the season together. Just kind of have, you know, like, Hey, you, you two have been the, the franchise icons. We're not going to put Patrick Kane with, you know, some, some lower level guys right off the bat. Like I think they'll, they'll do it to appease the two of them. And then as the season goes on, I, I can, I see a situation where they're going to play separated uh, as opposed to apart or um, together. 
Well, one guy that certainly is going to be excited to see Kane and Taves play together on uh, on his team now is Max Domi. We had a chance uh, to sit down with the new Blackhawks winger, and here's our conversation with Max. First up, Max, uh, why did you feel the Blackhawks were a good fit for you at this time of your career? Uh, yeah, I, I think that the main reason for sure is, is obviously um, Luke as as the head coach. I have a really good relationship with him, and um, he knows what uh, what I am as as a person and as a player, and, and I know what he's like as a person as a, as a coach too. So I'm super happy for him and the opportunity of being a head coach in the NHL, and um, just to, to be able to play for a guy like that and learn from him every night and, and, and kind of go to battle with him is, is something that I couldn't couldn't pass up. And obviously, a chance to play with with two guys that. Um, I mean, I grew up idolizing for sure between uh, Jonathan Taves and, and Patrick Kane. I mean, um, lucky enough to meet a couple, uh, both of them a couple times and play against them for, for a few years now. So I'm um, really excited to, to play with them. Uh, for, for those that haven't seen your media availability yet, by the time yeah. this drops, um, you basically said when, when the Blackhawks hired Luke Richardson as their head coach, you immediately called your agent and said, I want to go play for Chicago. What is it about Luke Richards specifically that you, you really have that rapport with? And his um, you know, I, I think he's just such a good person. Obviously, everyone knows how how many games he played, the success he had on the ice, and the success he's had off the ice. Uh, for me, it's just how good of a dude he is, and 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 how much he cares about his players, and and just the way that he goes about his business. I mean, he he's not a guy, a big raw raw guy. He's very motivational in in terms of how much he cares about everyone. Um, he's genuine. He, he works hard. I mean, you see him in the gym, you see him on the ice as as a coach. He's one of the hardest working guys I've, I've been around. So. Um, I enjoy being around people like that. They inspire me to be better every single day. And I think that's what it's all about at this point. And um, it's been a tough couple of years uh, for, for me personally, um, to be honest. Obviously, I had a, had a great chance to finish off um, on something special with Carolina and be a part of that tough ending. But uh, it, it was great to be a part of that and kind of get my myself back in a, in a good headspace and just looking forward to carry that into to an opportunity here in, in Chicago under a guy like Luke and, and playing with guys like Kaner and Taser and uh, Murph, who I know very well, and, and Seth Jones. It was just an opportunity that, I mean, I couldn't pass up. So my decision was made, I mean, pretty pretty much right away. In Carolina, you got to play for uh, Rod Brindamore. Is there yeah. some similarities between Rod and Luke? Um. Yes and no, for sure. I mean, Rod, Roddy's uh, Roddy's unbelievable. He's he's got to be the best coach in the NHL and, and best head coach in the NHL. And, and I say that because I, I haven't had Luke as a head coach yet, um, so I don't think it's fair to, to give him that title until I play for him. But I'm sure he'll be. Um, it's like a one A one B type thing. Um, very very similar guys in terms of um, they'll do anything for their their players. Um, they have everyone's back, um, and they just all they care about is winning. And um, I think that's what you want to instill in the culture and, and in the locker room. And it starts with the guy driving the ship. And in a lot of cases in, in hockey, it's, it's the coach doing that. Um, and he teamed that up with, with the great leadership they already have there and um, the experience they've had over the years. It's um, I mean, it's a great spot. Uh, Kyle Davidson has been pretty clear about this is going to be kind of a full scale rebuild. And obviously it was pretty reflective of, um, you know, when you look at some of the offseason moves, how, what's your mindset going into this year? You obviously on a one-year deal, you came here because of Luke Richardson are you looking at this from a short-term perspective or are you looking at this, you know, from a, from a longer-term view as well? Um, yeah, I, I hope it's a long-term view, you know. I mean, uh, with that being said, I do understand it's a business and I know they have um, their, their things they have to do as, as management and front office and all that. But, I mean, all we can do as, as players is, is, is show up, I mean, as a professional every single day, work as hard as we can and, and try and put our best foot forward and, 
be the best version of yourself out there and, and try and win hockey games. And um, I think that's the mindset of, of, of all of us going for it. Um, and, and I think that's, that's something we'll just, I mean, address in, in camp of, of, of being professionals every day. And I mean, Hey, we're all in the NHL for a good, for, for a reason, right? We've worked very hard to get here. And, and there's a lot of guys in that locker room that have had a, a lot of success. And um, I mean, there's a lot of noise on the outside and whatnot, but um, I think when, when you get together, when you get together as a group and you start having some fun and, string some wins together and anything can happen. And uh, you just got to believe in each other. And I think when you have a guy like Luke or, or Patrick or Jonathan or, or Seth, I mean, driving the ship, um, that kind of culture is just instilled automatically. So um, I'm excited to jump on board with them and, and help out in any way I can. Have you had any contact with uh, Taves or Kane? I spoke to Taser. Yeah. I saw him when I was in Chicago. That was, that was pretty cool. He's such a good dude. Um, obviously uh, I talked to Murph quite a bit. Um, had a chance to, to spend some time with Stillman down here in Toronto at Smash Fest. Um, great <laughs> dude. Um, who else? Who else? Um, and Whistle, I don't know personally, but I've talked to him a couple times before. So excited for, for that. And um, Radish as well. I mean, local boy here. So um, just just excited. I mean, it seems like a great group. Some some awesome young guys mixed with some uh, some legendary veterans for sure. Um, and, and just to wear that jersey. I, I said the same thing in Montreal. And as a hockey player, you kind of grow up and, and you want to play for – on the big stage for the original six teams and was lucky enough to play in Montreal for, for two years, which um, I mean, is second and none in Canada really. And then you, you jump over to the States and, and this is the version of Montreal and in, in the States really. Um, I mean, it's, it's neck and neck for, for, I mean, storied franchises in, in the history of the game. Um, you look at some of the names, I mean, from, from Akita to, I mean, Chelios to now Taves and, and, and Kane and, and so on. Um, I mean, it's it's tough to pass up an opportunity to wear that jersey, man. And, and as a fan growing up, um, I was just super excited, and I can't wait to get down um, to the city. All right, you mentioned Connor Murphy twice, so I got to go there right now. What have you? <laughs> when you have, we obviously know what happened a couple of years ago on the ice. When you when you kind of get traded to a new team, I guess this situation might, or uh, when you signed with a different team, like this situation might be different because you said you know Connor personally, you're good buddies with him. It is. When you're going to a new team and you have some run-ins with former guys, is it a little awkward at first? Or like, how, how do you kind of handle that situation? Uh, I'm pretty used to that, to be honest. Just <laughs> that's kind of how I am. And, and around the league, I'm sure most of the guys know that. But, uh, I mean, as soon as the game's over, I'll be the first one to, to go give the guy a hug. So uh, <laughs> it works both ways, and that's just the beauty of our game. But, no, Murph, honestly, he was one of my best buddies when we were in Arizona. Uh, myself, him, and Anthony, Anthony Duclair. Did a lot of spent a lot of time together, and and, and Murph knows um, <laughs> how I am, so I, he didn't take it personally for sure. We had a good chuckle about it, but uh, you didn't pull any punches in that press conference though. After too, like, did you guys talk about it like after to kind of clear the air? Uh, you don't really need to, right? Like, I mean, he knows it's an emotional game, so do I. And um, I mean, looking back at it, I didn't like the way he hit me. He's such a strong guy. Like, people don't give him how strong he is, and he got me pretty good. And, um, I mean, once I kind of realized it was, you just kind of see red. Then once you realize it's one of your buddies, like you're obviously not <laughs> throwing punches when he's in a really vulnerable position. So, um, no one wants to hurt anyone, obviously, but, um, I mean, in, in a game that gets that heated and I mean, I mean I'm, a, I'm an emotional guy for sure. And, um, I think there's a lot of strengths to that and, and pros to that, but there's, there's also some cons for sure. <laughs> That might mean grabbing the wrong guy once in a while, but you know, <laughs> I'm sure he forgives me for it for sure. Besides your physicality, you can also put it in the back of the net. You're coming off a real productive playoff with Carolina. Uh, that game seven against Boston, you were you were epic in that one. Is that the best game of your career, do you think? 
<laughs> uh, no, thank you very much, by the way. Um, it was uh, it was a lot of fun, man, honestly. And, and I went to Carolina with, with um, obviously, um, a, a role that was kind of de- um, dependent on if someone went down or whatever it was. And, and I understood that, and I totally got that. It was one of the best teams in the league when I got there. So I wasn't expecting to go in and, 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 um, and change the whole world for them. Um, but I was ready to, to jump in whenever I needed, um, and whatever Roddy gave me the tap on the back, I was, I was ready to go. And, um, it's a special group there, man. Um, I mean, Roddy's an unbelievable coach. Their whole staff is, is, is incredible. And, and, and the players in that locker room are, are fantastic. So I enjoyed my time there. It was, it was very short, but, uh, unfortunately that's, again, that's how the business works. Um, but made some, some friendships that last a long time. And, um, that, that game, uh, specifically was, was pretty special. Um, um, playing with with the intro check and, and Turbo Terravine in there, it was uh, it was awesome. I mean, I, I just had so much fun, and um, not that I wasn't having fun um, when I was in Columbus, but uh, I mean, obviously, some some struggles make it make it challenging. Some of the days are harder, harder than others. Just like in life in general, you, you go through adversity, and um, with that um, in the back of your mind, uh, sometimes you see the light at the end of the tunnel. And and, and for me personally, to, to go to a team like that, have a chance to play a playoff hockey uh, and a chance to win a Stanley Cup was was pretty special. Um, and, and something that I'm, I'm very grateful for and thankful for. It's just, it's unfortunate how it ended. I thought we, we deserved a lot better, but um, I mean, learning experience for, for myself personally and, and definitely for that whole team. And I wish them nothing but the best moving forward from top to bottom. You talked about playing uh, under a big market in Montreal and now you're going to play for another original six team in Chicago, yeah. but you obviously grew up around the game too, with your dad, Ty playing for Toronto. How has that kind of, helped you uh, prepare for situations like this and kind of what was it like growing up under a microscope for you? For sure. I mean, it's, it's how I grew up. Right. So I don't know any different, but um, no, I mean, I was a huge Leafs fan growing up, um, went to most of his games. Um, wasn't the kind of guy that watched the hockey. It was more so I'd be in the, in the, in the wives lounge playing, playing mini sticks with the other daughters <laughs> and whatnot. So um, I've always loved the game and um, I mean, it's all about winning for me and um, growing up with a dad that, um, played a long, long time and played a lot of playoff games, but never had a chance to win a Stanley Cup. Um, kind of carries the torch, or I passes the torch on to me to to try and do that. And um, I mean, it's such a fun ride. I got the best job in the world, play hockey. And um, I mean, I there's no such thing as a bad day in the NHL in my mind. And and I'm really, really excited to to play for another unbelievable franchise um, with some great history um, and some great players on on that roster. Um, enjoy my time in Montreal. Can enjoy my time in Chicago too. And hopefully, it's it's uh, I'm there for a while, um, but I'm excited. I'm really, really pumped. I know I keep saying I sound like a broken record, but <laughs> get down there and um, kind of get things going again. You mentioned your dad, uh, you know, he's a type of guy that fed off the energy in the crowd, whether, yeah. you know, if, if, he, if he was on the road in Philadelphia and he was getting th- those fans uh, <laughs> into it, you, you saw yeah. him kind of feed off it. Like he was almost like a wrestler. <laughs> um it, did you do you have any of those traits yourself as far as is is feeling the energy in the building and 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 having that uh, affect your play yeah yeah for sure um 82 games is a, is a long season so it's something that i mean as a pro athlete and a guy in the nhl you got to work on because you got to be consistent through an 82 game season you got to be ready every single night obviously there's gonna be some nights where you don't have your your a game or whatever and you got to change it up simplify it and, and find ways to do other things but for me personally, when 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 the spotlight's on and uh, and you're playing at the United Center, I mean the biggest rink in the NHL, with uh, I mean some of the best fans, I mean in the history of the game, uh, it's tough not to get up for those games. Um, and even you hear the anthem; it's one of my favorite places to play at on the road. 
um, it's it's just it's second to none. So um, I'm I'm really excited about the opportunity, and uh, hopefully it brings out the best in me. I'm pretty confident it will, but uh, just really pumped to get going. All right, last one for me, Max. Uh, not a lot of people might know this out of from Chicago, obviously newly signed, but. Your dad, Ty, has a special relationship or unique relationship with Tom Brady. Is that correct? He does, yes. Uh, how, did, how did that relationship start? And what's your relationship like with Tom? And, and just take us through that. Like, wh- like I need to know the backstory. Uh, I mean, there's not much backstory. My dad's, um, he knows everyone. That's just how he is. I'm a very likable guy, obviously. But I, had and, um, I mean, had the toughest job in the history of, of, of sports. I mean, what he did was, was, was very difficult and he's one of the best, if not the best to ever do it. I'm biased. So I say he's the best <laughs> most fights of all time, 333. And, um, he's a, he's a, he's a personality for sure. So he walks into a room and, and people get attracted to him for, for a reason. And, and he deserves that. And, um, I mean, Tom Brady's I mean, probably the greatest athlete of, of all time in my books, um, in terms of success and everything under the sun, really. Um, been lucky enough to spend some time and, and, and learn from Tom. And, um, I mean, every every second that I that I get a chance to talk to Tom, it's like I'm sitting there just like a kid in a candy shop, just soaking it all in. But no, they're they're really good buddies, and um, obviously, um, how they met is just through mutual friends and, and whatnot. But uh, no, they're, they're they're boys for sure, and and um, I'm sure Tom will be tuning into some Hawks games for sure. Did you pick Tom's brand about anything as far as training or uh, nutrition or any of the things yeah. that he goes through? Obviously, uh, he's he's been really advanced in that part of uh, keeping his career going. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason at his age he, he finds ways to get better, right? I mean, he's doing something um, that's working for him. So it's uh, he's, he's someone that has really changed the whole game in terms of recover, recovery and, and preparation. And, I mean, the mindset you go into every game with, every practice – um, you surround yourself with all that good stuff. And, um, I mean, he's, he's got this aura and this presence about him that is, is second and none really. Uh, and there's a reason why he's the greatest quarterback of all time. And he's had so much success, um, and led, I mean, these great teams to great championships. Um, so, I mean, of course I picked his brain about the health side of things. I, I am a type one diabetic. I'm, I'm also a celiac. So I have a couple, uh, autoimmune conditions that, um, requires me to, to do some certain things that other guys might not have to anyways. Um, and I really became like kind of like just a fan of taking care of yourself and um, being healthy. It's, it's something that's, that's a hobby of mine for sure. Um, I think nowadays uh, more, more people are starting to get uh, more and more dialed in with that stuff. And um, I'm sure if you talk to Murph about it, he, he would be able to tell you the same thing, but uh, I certainly do love that um, side of the, the, the sport and, um, big in the off season, obviously as well with, with training and, and getting yourself ready to go for the season and, and trying to do your best to stay healthy and, and be at the top of your game. Well, Max, thank you for doing this. Look forward to uh, catching up with you in September and uh, welcome to Chicago. Awesome. Thank you so much for the time, guys. Appreciate it. We appreciate Max for joining us. Thanks to Blackhawks Media Relations for making that happen. He's quite the talker. I think he's going to get a lot of airtime on Blackhawks pre and post game live. Yeah, I think I'm going to be gravitating towards his locker a lot during this season to get a couple of quotes from him because uh, we see him on the ice. I feel like he, he's uh, he's got a screw loose, uh, which is good, right? Like you need that kind of edge to him, but sometimes he can go off the, off the handles. And I love that he admitted it too. He's like, it has its strengths, but it also has his weaknesses. Like sometimes he might be might be prone to taking a bad penalty here too. But I think, I think Pat, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on one of the podcasts. Um, 
the Blackhawks need a guy like this during a rebuild. I I, I reference um, I write wrote about this for NBCSportsChicago.com. Well, I will write about it, but when this drops, it'll be up. Uh, about how last year Arizona was in a situation where they did not have they traded all their physical enforcers and Nick Delorier and Josh Manson, and then they got pushed around in a game um, against Arizona or uh, it was Anaheim. They got pushed around by by Arizona with Jay Beagle, and it was like Trevor Zegris and Troy Terry and all these young guys were on the ice, and there was no one to step up. So I think having a guy like Max Domi on this roster as the Blackhawks go through this rebuild um, is really important. I think it was also a huge endorsement for Luke Richardson. And, you know, we, yeah. we had talked about the impact that uh, coaches have on teams and kind of the identity and the culture that they set and how a lot of teams mimic their head coach. Max talked about that. He talked about that with, with what Rod Brindamore has done in Carolina, how Luke made such a strong impact on the Canadians' defensive core and how it didn't matter if it was Shea Weber or it was uh, Carey Price, whoever they were, they looked up to Luke. And like you said, he was the reason why he picked up the phone and called his agent and said, I want to go to Chicago. I think that bodes well as we go through this rebuild and you start adding free agents. Luke could be that type of difference maker that that players say, I want to go play for him. Yeah, and especially if you're getting that recommendation from a guy like Max Domi and he can kind of spread you know, the word on why he loves playing with Luke Richardson. And even Jonathan Taze mentioned it in that piece with, with Mark about like he was like he's really excited to work with Luke Richardson after having – you know, multiple sit down conversations with him behind closed doors. So, you know, like we said, when Luke got hired, it's been all rave reviews, all positive reviews about Richardson. And it's nice to see that the players are also kind of feeling that. And once that disperses throughout the locker room and guys really um, earn that trust with Luke, I feel like that's going to be great for, for pending UFAs moving forward. So that's a wrap on this edition of the Blackhawks Talk Podcast. Our thanks to Max Domi for joining us. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate us and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on the Blackhawks Talk Podcast.